bringing you the latest in tax credit news. This is Tax Credit Tuesday with your host, Michael Novogratik. The legislative challenges have been significant. We very much need legislation. we got to produce housing. We're still in a very volatile industry. It's a challenging atmosphere for almost anyone. We can't get all these big signals and messages. If he doesn't have a bipartisan bill, nothing's going to happen. Alternative energy is still very expensive. Hello, I'm Michael Novogratik, and this is Tax Credit Tuesday. Today is Tuesday, January 22nd, 2013. I begin this week's podcast with an update on several items affecting Congress and the executive branch, not the least of which is the President's inauguration, as well as talk about a possible short-term increase in the debt ceiling. In this week's historic tax credit section, I'll discuss the state historic tax credit that's been proposed in Nebraska and a report from the GAO about how the General Services Administration, the National Park Service, and the Department of Veteran Affairs manage historic buildings in their portfolios and the challenges they face. In our low-income housing tax credit segment, I'll review a proposed change in accounting method that regulators will consider in March that could promote transparency and increase the benefits of tax credit investments to both investors and stakeholders. I also have news about an update to the Novogratz & Company low-income housing tax credit mapping tool. The update isn't done yet, but it's in progress and will be very helpful in your interactions with members of Congress. And finally, in our renewable energy discussion, I'll talk about the Energy Freedom and Economic Prosperity Act. It's a bill that was introduced last week that would limit all energy tax credits. And then I'll also discuss Secretary Ken Salazar's announcement that he'll be stepping down from his post after four years as Secretary of the Interior. And I have a brief blurb on our upcoming New Market Tax Credit Conference in San Diego. We have nearly 600 professionals and industry participants scheduled to attend. So if you're ready, let's get started. In general news, President Barack Obama was inaugurated yesterday and gave his inaugural address. And I wanted to note one excerpt from the inaugural address as it relates to tax reform. Specifically, he said, quote, we must harness new ideas and technology to revamp our tax code. That said, given that it is mentioned in his inaugural address, it gives particular weight to the fact that tax reform itself is something that the president will pursue during the coming year. The question, of course, remains how aggressively. Turning to the short run, short run being most of this fiscal year, the next key deadline is going to be this debt ceiling. The Treasury Department has said that the debt ceiling may be reached by the middle of February, but they may be able to stretch it out till early March. Once that deadline is dealt with one way or another, the next critical deadline is March 27th, which is the deadline for continuing resolution for the current fiscal year funding, as well as the deadline before the sequestration cuts kick in. You can go to prior podcasts to learn more about both those topics. Once we get past that deadline, unless that deadline simply is extended a few months, if you assume we get past that deadline through the end of this fiscal year, that being September 30th, then the next critical budgetary deadline will be October 1st, the beginning of the next fiscal year. We also look forward in the coming weeks 
to seeing the president's budget, which will be his outline for fiscal year end 2014, September 30th. Now, I mentioned the debt ceiling. Last week, the House Ways and Means Committee Chairman Dave Camp actually announced that his committee was going to hold a hearing on the statutory debt limit. That hearing is taking place today, Tuesday, January 22nd, at 1.30 p.m. Eastern Time. In announcing the hearing, Chairman Camp said that the hearing will examine the role and purpose of the debt limit, it will review past practices regarding its increase, and explore solutions that ensure responsible management of the government's finances. As you know from prior podcasts, the public debt reportedly reached the statutory limit of $16.4 trillion in December of 2012. And since then, the Treasury Department's been operating under extraordinary measures that give it additional but limited means to manage funds. I also note that on Friday last week, Republican leaders announced that this week they will act on an increase in the debt ceiling's vision to provide a three-month extension. Under the planned legislation, if the Senate or the House failed to pass a budget by April 15th, though, lawmakers' pay would be withheld. And we're waiting to see whether this provision can make its way through the Senate. The Senate, as many of our listeners know, hasn't passed a budget in over four years, and this three-month extension of the debt ceiling would basically tell the Senate, if you don't pass a budget by April 15th, the Senate lawmakers' pay would be withheld. Regarding the debt ceiling and other Washington, D.C. matters, I will tweet updates this week as the situation continues to develop. As such, I encourage you to follow me on Twitter. In other news from the House Ways and Means Committee, Chairman Dave Camp did announce last week who the chairs of the various Ways and Means subcommittees would be. And the one subcommittee of particular importance to the various tax credit communities is the House Select Revenue Measures Subcommittee. That committee will, once again, be chaired by Congressman Pat Tiberi, someone who I think most within the tax credit community would say was a good Republican choice to continue to head up that committee. Now, we are waiting to hear who the other subcommittee, Republican subcommittee members will be. And once we hear, I'll send out a tweet as well as I'll report on the Republican members of the House Select Revenue Subcommittee in a future podcast. In historic tax credit news, Nebraska State Senator Jeremy Norquist introduced a bill last week that would establish a state rehabilitation tax credit for historic income-producing properties in the state of Nebraska. Supporters say LB191, the Nebraska Job Creation and Main Street Revitalization Act, is designed to create jobs and promote economic development in the state. Specifically, the legislation would provide a 20% tax credit for historic rehabilitation projects that cost $10 million or less, and a 10% credit for projects over $10 million. The program would be administered by the Nebraska State Historical Society. All of Nebraska's neighboring states, with an income tax, have had successful state historic tax credits. The state historic tax credit in Kansas has created more than 4,000 jobs, for example. And Missouri's state historic tax credit has generated $669 million in local and state revenue in little more than a decade. Now, you can learn more about the Nebraska bill in the February issue of the Novogratz Journal of Tax Credits. And if you're not already a subscriber, I encourage you to sign up. You can get a free sample copy of the journal at www.novaco.com journal. Turning to the GAO, late last year, 
the U.S. Government Accountability Office, or GAO, released a report on how the General Services Administration, the National Park Service, and the Department of Veteran Affairs manage historic buildings in their portfolios and the challenges they face. The report found that the agencies have identified historic buildings in their portfolios, they've nominated them to the National Register of Historic Places, and they've implemented energy-efficient measures in many buildings. In several instances, historic buildings that weren't being used by the agencies themselves were released to non-federal entities that could use and preserve them. The report says some of the challenges agencies faced in maintaining historic buildings included updating older buildings to meet current codes, budget limitations, and competing stakeholder interests. Agencies are required to submit yearly updates to the Federal Real Property Profile, which is a database of 400,000 federal properties. However, the report found that data on historic buildings that was submitted to the database was incomplete. GAO recommended developing fiscal year summary reports from the database for the public and stakeholders, determining whether changes to database procedures are needed for better reporting, and making the database more accessible to the Advisory Council on Historic Preservation so that the Council can better perform its advisory role to the President and Congress. A copy of the report has been posted at www.historictaxcredits.com. And in Department of Interior news, the Department of Interior manages the National Park Service, which is the area within which the historic preservation programs are administered by the Department of Interior. They announced last week that the Secretary of Interior, Ken Salazar, would be leaving the Obama administration by the end of March. We look forward to seeing who the president might nominate as the next Secretary of Interior, as they'll have the potential to have a significant impact on the preservation of historic properties throughout this country. In the Longamazing Tax Credit news, the tax credit community is currently looking forward to an upcoming meeting of the Federal Accounting Standard Board's Emerging Issue Task Force. Why? Because the task force will discuss an important proposed change to the method of accounting for low-income housing tax credit investments, and actually, more broadly, all tax credit investments. Regular listeners will recall that in 2010, a group formed to advocate for expanding the effective yield method. Last year, that effective yield working group commissioned a white paper to address issues related to the accounting methods that FASB currently requires be applied to tax credit investments. The white paper was prepared by Novogratz and Company and Resnick Group, now Cohn Resnick. The white paper also discussed potential accounting issues being considered in connection with the FASB's current project and the need for a new, more principles-based approach to accounting rules that reflect the unique nature of tax credit investments. This paper urges a new, principles-based accounting method that could be applied to all types of tax credit investments that share certain similar characteristics. And this new accounting method would be known as the tax credit investment method. The paper notes that requiring all equity investments to be accounted for as financial instruments ignores the unique nature and benefits of tax credit investments. Instead, qualifying investments should be accounted for, the paper argues, as purchases of tax benefits or, at a minimum, the tax benefits should be treated as tax-exempt component of pre-tax earnings. Under the proposed method, 
a proportionate amount of the cost of the investment would be amortized against the related tax credits and reported as a component of the tax credit investor's income tax provision. The amount of investment amortization should be recognized as a cost in each reporting period would be calculated as a percentage of the original investment based on the proportion of tax credits received during the reporting period in comparison to the total tax credits expected to be received. In other words, investment costs would be recognized on a pro rata basis with the tax credits actually received. And the central concept behind the paper is that the geography as to where these tax credit expenses or amortization costs should be in the same place on the income statement as where the tax credit benefit is realized. So we either show the amortization as a component of the income tax provision or show the tax credits as income where the amortization expense is being taken. You can find a copy of the white paper online at www.novaco.com. In connection with the March 14th meeting, supporters of this change in the accounting method of tax credit investments will be sending a letter. And the letter is going to go to the Emerging uh, Issues Task Force. And this letter is going to champion this tax credit proposal. And if you want your name added, your organization's name added to the letter, contact Ron Diner at 727-567-1000 or Bentley Stanton in our Atlanta, Georgia office or send an email to cpas at novaco.com. Now turning to the Novogradic Log Buzzing Tax Credit Mapping Tool, as many listeners know, Every decade, the census is conducted to readjust population figures across the country. These population figures are then used in a number of ways, including redistricting or the redrawing of congressional and state legislative districts. Last week, the Census Bureau released the official data for the post-2010 census state legislative and congressional districts. Novogratz Company is now taking that data that was recently released by the Census Bureau and working with PolicyMap to adjust our low-income tax credit mapping tool. That's the tool that is on our website and can be used to identify where low-income tax credit properties are, and particularly in whose congressional district or state legislative district they're in. Now, the mapping tool to that end includes a housing tax credit project's address, number of units and low-income units, number of bedrooms, year the credit was allocated, the year the project was placed in service, whether or not the project was new construction or rehab, the type of credit provided, as well as certain other information about other sources of financing. Now, in addition to the searchable mapping tool, we've also prepared a list of LIHTC properties for each state, as well as each congressional district within each state. So basically, we cover all the senators and all the members of Congress. These lists will be updated with the new congressional boundaries as soon as possible. Now, once we get it updated, We'll send out an announcement to the Novogratic Industry Alert subscribers. In renewable energy tax credit news, we may have entered a new congressional session, but lawmakers have already begun introducing some of the same bills that they introduced last session. One bill that has been reintroduced is the Energy Freedom and Economic Prosperity Act. Now, what does that stand for? Well, Rep. Mike Pompeo, a Kansas Republican, who introduced the bill on January 15th, proposed the bill, and in the bill, there's provisions that would eliminate all energy tax credits. It would eliminate tax credits for both conventional and renewable sources of energy. The credits, in turn, would be replaced with a comparable reduction in tax rates 
for every dollar that would have been generated by the repealed tax credits. It would maintain, though, general business deductions from multiple industries. There right now are 11 members of the House representatives that are co-sponsoring the bill. Several groups have also expressed support for the bill, including Americans for Tax Reform, the Club for Growth, and Taxpayers for Common Sense. Representative Pompeo introduced the bill in November 2011, and Senators Jim DeMint and Mike Lee introduced a Senate version in February of 2012. Both of these bills died at the end of the 112th Congressional Session. The Energy Freedom and Economic Prosperity Act was referred to the House Ways and Means Committee. A companion bill has not yet been introduced in the Senate. Novograd and Company will provide updates on the bill's progress on our website, Twitter feed, as well as in future podcasts. And next, as I noted earlier, last week, Secretary of the Interior Ken Salazar announced that he'll return to his home state of Colorado, having served four years as Secretary of the Interior. And as I mentioned, he'll leave by the, expected to leave by the end of March. Now, regarding energy, tax credits, and other energy developments, during Secretary Salazar's tenure, their Interior Department has authorized 34 solar, wind, and geothermal energy projects on public lands. That total is about 10,400 megawatts. Secretary Salazar also spearheaded efforts to reform federal surface leasing regulations for American Indian lands. These reforms are expected to expedite economic development and spur renewable energy in Indian country. Now, as I also noted earlier, at the time of this recording, possible replacements for his post had not yet been reported. In new market tax credit news, uh, we'll be brief. We do have the Novogratic New Market Tax Credit Conference coming up this week in San Diego, and we have nearly 600 New Market Tax Credit professionals and industry participants already registered to attend. So we do hope you join us, and we hope that you have a successful conference. If you have suggestions for how to make our New Market Tax Credit conferences more successful in the future, please send an email to cpas at novaco.com. Well, that brings me to the end of this week's report. Join me again next week for another Tax Credit Tuesday. This is Michael Novogratik, and I'll be back next week. Thanks for listening. This weekly podcast has been brought to you by Novogratik & Company, LLP. Archived discussions are available online at www.novaco.com forward slash podcast or by subscribing to the Tax Credit Tuesday podcast in iTunes. Novogratik and Company LLP is a national certified public accounting and consulting firm with offices nationwide. Learn more about our professional services at www.novaco.com.